This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 167. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. Super excited that you're here today. Hey, I'm curious. I'm curious to know kind of what you're doing at this particular time listening to this podcast. If you can let me know, snap a pic and, and just send it to me, send it, share it with me on Instagram. The handle is TheMichaelBlanc. And now, now I only do this, of course, if you're not driving. You got to be safe. But just send me where you are right now, whatever you're doing. If you're out for a run or you're at the gym or whatever you're doing, just send me a quick pic saying, hey, hey, I'm, here's what I'm doing. Listen to the show. I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. The handle is the Michael Blank. Anyway, try and do a lot more on social and love to see you there. Today in the show, I'm really excited to have my good friend Reed Goosens here. Reed and I have known each other for, gosh, four, I don't know, four years or so. And, and we've kind of grown up together, right? We're kind of these, you know, these budding entrepreneurs. You know, we want to crush it in a multifamily space. And he was on the show before, and it was a little while ago. But today, he's got over 1,100 units. And I wanted to have him back because a lot of things happened since then in his life. And I wanted to grill him specifically about, hey, you know, how does your your, your definition of success over, over the years change, and what is the one thing that really helped you create such a portfolio in in four years? And we talk a lot about things like financial freedom. Why is that important to you? And you know, he was talking about you know, being stuck in a cubicle and just having like this this life crisis. And this was in his back in his you know you know mid twenties or so. And you know, it could be similar for you. And what did he do from that? Like, how did that propel him to action? And it's just a really, really great conversation to have Reed back in the show. So let's get right into the show here with Reed Usens. Here we go. Hey, Reed, welcome to the show again. G'day, mate. How's it going? Hey, it's going great. It's been a little while since it's on the show. We have lots to catch up to and lots of things happening on your end. Lots of lessons learned, lots of mistakes made. And you also have a new book out, which is really exciting. It's called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate. You dedicated uh, the book to your late mother, and she had a quote about spiders. Now, can you say what that quote is? (laughs) Keep it clean and and talk about why that is so meaningful to you. (laughs) The quote is, we aren't here to explicit spiders, which are starting with F and ending in K. It's just a very, very Australian thing. It means we're not here to stuff around. We're not here to, we only get given one shot at life. So make the most of it. And that's sort of, you're not here to stuff around. We're not here to muck around. We're not here, but we're here to get stuff done, make it happen and enjoy life. And and my mum always used to live by that quote. She told it to me a lot of times when I was growing up and particularly when I was in trouble, like, you know, or, or didn't want to do something. You know, get going, you know, to sort of kick you in the butt and uh, really got me motivated to really live my life. And she was the best and my first mentor. And uh, yeah, I hope she's, she's looking over me right now. So I'm sure she'll be pretty proud that I dedicated the book to her. I'm sure she is. It's awesome. Now, a little while back, uh, five, four or five years ago, you actually booked a flight. You're not from around here, obviously. And uh, you're, you're from, from Australia. Now, you, you booked uh, several years. You booked a, a one-way ticket to the US. Why did you do that? Yeah. Two reasons, both were for love, right? The first one was for the love of my girlfriend, who's now my wife, she's American. And the second one was for the love of the Big Apple, New York City. I I had backpacked through New York back in 2009 and really fell in love with the city. Like I was only traveling as a tourist at that point. I said, I've got to live in this city point in my life. An opportunity came up in early 2012 
And I just said, screw it, let's quit my job. I had a very well-paying civil engineering job back in Australia and moved halfway across the world in order to, I had a dream, I wanted to make it happen here in the United States. And, and, and my, you know, my, my fallback would have been, well, I'll just go back to Australia if it, if it doesn't work out. But at least I had a go. And, and back to my mother's you know, saying, it's sort of like, don't have any regrets. And uh, don't wake up when you're 60 and think, gosh, I really, I really wish I would have moved halfway across the world back, uh, back in 2012. And, and I didn't, I've never looked back. That's awesome. Now, today you're you're financially free. You actually control quite a bit of a, a large multifamily portfolio that you've built over the last four years. I'm just curious, how is your life different now than it was four or five years ago when you were in your cubicle in Brisbane? Yeah, well, so look, a lot different. So the, the whole journey started back in probably 2008, 2009 when I returned from being overseas, backpacking, gallivanting around Europe for, for two years. I, I spent some time in Europe as an engineer, but also doing some other stuff met my girlfriend, moved back to Australia in 2010. And those two years between 2010 and early 2012 before I moved back to the States was really like, I just had to come off this extremely whirlwind of a trip and I was sitting in a cubicle and just like pulling my hair. What the hell am I going to do for the rest of my life? And really felt like a, a star athlete on sitting on the sidelines watching my life pass by. And that's what I felt like in the cubicle. So that's where really where it started. Fast forward to today, it's been a lot of bloody hard work. Don't let anyone on this show tell you that it's any different. You have to hustle. I worked a full-time job for many, many years and had my side hustle at the same time, doing deals, slowly building up equity, slowly building up investor databases. And now I can look back and say, okay, wow, you know, good on me, whatever. But, you know, I've only just achieved one step in this long journey that I want to keep on going. So my life has changed dramatically. I have a lot more time freedom, which is fantastic. And we can talk a little bit about that and the, the, the conundrum of, oh, I've gone from working, you know, hustling 40 hours a week in my day job to then, you know, also doing 20, 30 hours a week on the side and to now having that 40 hours freed up, it's like, I'm a little bit of that, you know, go, go, go mentality. I'm like, oh God, what am I going to do with all this time? <laughs> so back to your question, completely enjoy the ability to be able to, oh, I've got to need to do a doctor's appointment or I need to, I'm heading over to the East Coast on the Thursday. I can just do things. I can get on a plane. I can do it. It's, it's what I have achieved and, uh, and what I set out to achieve. And it's really kind of like, I've got to pinch myself every now and then to like, wow, I'm 33 and I've done it. Like, Awesome. <laughs> it's it's amazing, and it, it puts the F despiger thing a little bit in perspective because I think I think you're right. I think when you're sitting around, not sure what you're doing with life, maybe drifting through life, maybe you have a little bout of laziness in you. It's a great mantra to get you up and, and getting productive. And and now you're at this point where you have some time, you have some options, right? You can continue busting your butt, and nothing wrong with that. Or you might say, hey, I'm going to pull back a little bit, right? How, how has your perspective changed on that? Because it's like you said, it's all of a sudden, it's not just all about productivity and activity. How has that changed for you? Yeah, that's a, I think it's a really good topic to talk about. You know, being busy doesn't necessarily mean you're doing effective work. And that's one thing I've really had to learn. And through mentorships, through you know life uh, life coaches, through my you know my wife, different things and, and different people giving me advice on how to structure my day and really understanding what time really moves the needle. And I can break it down for you if, if you want because I can, I love getting into this. I, I, I sort of separate my day into there's black time, blue time, and red time. And and black time is really like underwriting deals, you know, doing the sort of crunch, you know, working through the process. Think, think of having like a warehouse and it'd be someone on the shipping line, like packing boxes, I mean, something very repetitive. 
as an entrepreneur, I need to be doing maybe 20 or 30% of that in any one week. But the black time is like doing this, you know, media, thinking of my next book, doing interviews myself on my own podcast, meeting with new equity, trying to find the next deal, systemizing my business. They're all black activities in, in, the, black, in the black zone. And I need to be doing 70 to 80% of my week needs to be full, filled with that. The blue time needs to be very limited. And then red time is all administration stuff that I do not need to be doing at all. And I need to hire that out to, to other people. And, and that's sort of how I've broken it down. But it took me a little while to learn that because I was just like, oh, I've got to do the books and now I've got to underwrite a deal. And now I just sort of scattered and not being necessarily effective with my time and, and, and really planning my week out to say, okay, here's the black time, here's the blue time. And, and what am I delegating to the red? All right. So this is great. So, so what is a syndicator's best use of their time? I'll break it down into what I, my time right now sitting financially free. And I might look back at, at the time when I was in my day job. So right now, the best use of my time is firstly finding a partner who can help you ease the load, right? Syndicating, you wear many hats. If you don't have a partner who can either have an opposite skill set to what you have, whether it be underwriting or finding deals or raising capital, what it might be, really understanding that piece first so you don't have to be so scattered across all the different aspects of, of syndicating. My partnership with my business partner, Andrew, at Wildhorn Capital is... I'm really more the systems orientated person, you know, thought leadership, yes, but also understanding, okay, we've got to get the underwriters working to underwrite more deals. I need Andrew will go and like shake the tree and if any apples fall off, he'll pass them to me. I'll go make apple juice with him if I can. Um, and then also looking at like now we've got scale. One of the, I was sitting down in Texas last week with my prop, property management team looking at how can I become more effective with our unit turns and renovations instead of hiring out to a third party? How can we bring it in-house now that we've got over a thousand units to reduce our payroll across the assets, but also to reduce the cost of the renovation and the turns? So stuff like that is really what I'm focused on in, in order to move the needle in the right directions for our investors. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. I think one of the things that I realized, I guess later on, is that the first hire should be some kind of like virtual assistant of some sort, <laughs> because you <laughs> mentioned some of the administrative uh, in, the, in the red time and some of the stuff in the blue. And we do a lot of that stuff that someone else could, that's repetitive in nature of some sort or administrative of, of another nature that, that can and should be outsourced. What, what was kind of like your first hire? Yeah, well, my first hire was uh, going back three or four years ago now, I was still working in the day job and I'm pretty well proficient in Excel. I have my own underwriting system set up, but because I was working so much, all these deals were coming through. I just couldn't get it. I didn't have a chance to underwrite. So I was like, I've got to get two interns working for me. And I did. I found at USC, live here in Los Angeles, and I committed to paying them, I think it was 15 or 20 bucks an hour. And it might only be for five to 10 hours a week each. But they could underwrite two or three deals each a week, that's six deals a week that I didn't need to be doing. And that there in itself was just such a little, it was an investment. Now, you, you might people that they think, oh, I've got to spend this money. Well, you have to spend money to make money because if you got one of those, you know, say they did 24 deals in a month, maybe one of those deals pencils and you go and close on that deal and then you make a syndication fee. Well, that, that easily outweighs what you've spent on these two analysts. That there is quite simple and easy to do. Now, uh, if you, I use Upwork.com. That's I love Upwork. I've also got virtual assistants from there who help me with just sort of mundane tasks, a bit more of the bookkeeping side of it. So just there, there's two really good examples of if you're starting out, you're still working full time, and this is for people who also may not be proficient at underwriting. They need to. They're just not good at Excel. Understand that you're not good at Excel, and then you know make sure that someone in your business or, or a person is hired in your business who is, so they can underwrite more deals, and you have more time to go and do the black stuff that we, we were just talking about earlier. Yeah, it's the black stuff, right? That's the value 
Uh, and I think right now, you know, I think we equate a lot of the black dime to, I guess, making money. But there's probably other, I think you're maybe seeing that right now as, as well. So there's, there's other uses for the black time. And a lot of things that I find are drive to be entrepreneurial and to do the most we possibly can and push it into our time actually doesn't serve us either. It, it doesn't really give us a great life balance. And I'm just curious to see what are some of the uses, other uses that you are seeing, especially now that you're recently married as well. What are some of the other uses of the black time? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is when you're approaching black, the the, the, the differentiator between black and blue time, it's really you want to you want to be firing yourself out of the blue time. You don't want to be doing anything. You know, you hire people to essentially to fire yourself. Black time, as I said, is thought leadership side of stuff. So podcasting, getting the message out, getting books out, you know, writing books, going to masterminds, going and speaking at conferences, getting out in front of investors. So very simple things that are just keeping the top of the funnel you know, the brand, you know, the personal brand of Reed Goosens, uh, that is what is the real true black time is now and have the system set up in the back end to you just, it comes through the funnel and it goes down and spits out, you know, whether it be a deal, whether it be an investor, whether it be a new business opportunity that you could potentially help with, whatever it might be, you're out there sort of being the face of the business. And that's really what the black time is all about to help move the needle. And it's not necessarily about being busy, which is one of the conundrums I really found making that transition into having more time on my hands. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, how has your definition of success changed over the years? Yeah, good good question. Um, look, success is, I changed my thought process in and around, you know, we've always been taught to like, oh, by the time you're, in 10 years time, your goal is X. In 20 years time, your goal is Y. I know in myself just how hard I worked in the last five to six years that if you commit to doing something, so for example, I, I have a podcast. I had no idea. It wasn't. It doesn't make me any money, but it was such a door opener to other people like yourself, Michael. I would never have met you if we didn't have any interview on my show all those years ago. What that means is I committed to doing that podcast and doing it well or as well as I could, and I didn't have an outcome for it. I didn't have a goal for it. It was just to open doors. And so really equated to if I'm going to hustle in the next four to five years and whatever door opens, I'm going to be able to walk through it and be open to walk through it, not necessarily have these boundaries of like, oh, I need to be here by in five or 10 years time. So back to your question of success is that I think that if you're willing to roll up the sleeves and, and get dirty and then be able to reap the fruit of what you've sown, you know, so to speak, enjoy that fruit or, or walk through that door because you've, you've unlocked a door now that wasn't necessarily open before when you didn't hustle and do all those other things that you needed to do in order to create opportunities. And those opportunities will lead to more success uh, in the future. Interesting. I, I was uh, reading a book by Hal Elrod, this new one, The Miracle Equation, and he, he removes the fear of failure. Uh, similar to what you're just saying, it's not so much that you set your goals because goals, if you achieve them, you're happy. If you miss them, you're sad, right? right? He says, why do it that way? Set your goals. And really the importance and the impact of goals is not necessarily achieving them, though you may. The significance is the journey and the person that you're becoming in trying to achieve them. So you talked a lot about, you know, commitment. He talks a lot about extraordinary effort and unwavering faith. Those two, that you do something in belief that it's going to work and maybe it will and maybe it won't. And you commit to basically effort to get there. And that's kind of what, what you've done. And it's paid off. Now, it may not have paid off. Like in my case, I lost all my money in the restaurant business. And so it, quote, failed, but it, mm -hmm. it, it made me, you know, it formed me in a certain way. And looking back on it now, it's not really, quote, a failure. It's actually, it was a worthwhile experience. And so I'm a little cynical, like you are, about you know, setting the goals a little bit. So you're like, okay, well, great. You set this goal. You set this one-year goal, this five-year goal, but really to what end, right? 
What, what are you, how are you evolving as an entrepreneur? And, and I think back to setting goals, uh, goals have a time around them and, I, and, I, and goals are good, uh, I, 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 but, but there's also targets, right? Someone said to me one day on a, on a podcast, like, does it matter if you have 3,000 units, because uh, that was one of my goals, in 2019 or in 2022 if you're sitting down with your grandchildren at 70 years of age? Will they really care when you're sitting down talking to them? No, they won't. So uh, setting the expectation on the front is really important. I think a lot of people, quote, quote, fail or give up because they set out to think, oh, I'm going to achieve financial freedom in two years. And they get to end of two years, oh, gosh, I didn't, I didn't achieve it. Well, maybe it's going to take you longer than that. And that's okay. Maybe it is a five or 10-year journey. But be prepared on the front end. Like a lot of people fail at you know, fitness, right, for example. Fitness, in my mind, because I like being fit, it's a lifestyle. Being an entrepreneur is a lifestyle. Achieving financial freedom is a lifestyle. You need to change that mindset around that. And that means on the front end, so don't be like, oh, okay, I'm going to get fit in two years and, oh, God, I got to the end of two years, I'm not fit, I'm going to give up. You know, if you set that expectation, say, okay, it's going to be part of my life, I'm changing my lifestyle and I'm going to have a long-term vision for it, then over time it's going to automatically or naturally, organically evolve into being different goals, being different targets, being different priorities. And that's how I think as entrepreneurs we are so malleable and that's why it's great being an entrepreneur because we can ride the wave of whatever comes our way because we are just open to new doors or new opportunities or new fruit that's you know being sown as, as we, we go down this journey. It's interesting. So financial freedom is certainly a major milestone. And theoretically, we can just stop doing. I mean, you get to 1,000 units and you're like, you know, I, I can cover my living expenses. I could do whatever I want. Interestingly, most people don't stop achieving right. financial freedom. And so that begs the question, is it a case of, is enough never enough? In other words, are we always chasing something or why do we keep going? In my mind, why we keep going, and it goes back to that evolution piece a little bit of, you know, now when I've got to this point of, yes, financial freedom, but I'm not that person who's just going to sit on the beach. Yeah, I enjoy being able to go and travel. Like, travel is one of the number one things I'd love to do. But I also love to get up and get a bit of consistency in my week. You know, go, you know, here right now doing this podcast, getting up, going to the gym in the morning, taking the dog for a walk, doing meditation, like that consistency I love. And people, humans are creatures of habit. But when you do get to a certain level of success, you start then talking about, okay, what's my, what's my bigger North Star? Like, what, what am I here put on this earth to do my purpose, right? And that's where I think a lot of us, when you get to that financial freedom, and I'm at that point right now, where you start to reevaluate, okay, what is the next 20 years of my life going to be? Am I just going to, you know, drive around a nice car and have a nice house and that's it? Uh, it feels pretty empty. I need to have a little bit more. So we talk about education. You talk about giving back. We talk about being philanthropy. What is the thing that really drives you? And, and really, real estate is the vehicle to help to get financial freedom. But it's like, what purpose do you want to use that financial freedom in order to make other people's lives better, to make you know, your kids, your family, whatever it might be, but being very specific about that, and that's where you get to one goal, which is financial freedom. Okay, what's the next step? You know, right? And, and, and talking about, you know, you could sit on a beach for the rest of your life, but who's going to? <laughs> and so we're yeah. all we're all a, a work in progress for sure. But what what is your mission in your for you right now? What are you thinking? Yeah, look, I'm having thoughts right now. My journal is full of missions and statements and all that sort of stuff. So. Right now, I've been really inspired about the uh, global goals. Uh, it's about this whole dynamic around about, you know, for, for example, my, I've had a lot of touching stuff with cancer in my, in my immediate family. But for someone like you, you might have a different mission. 
right? But it's, you know, and I'm talking about cancer and you're talking about something else, you know, I don't know, let's make a, you know, human trafficking. I don't know, just some, some, some example, you know, you, you have a very big passion for. Well, these global goals are sort of under one umbrella, like they're all encompassing. So I'm not like, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to jam cancer down your throat. Like it's got to be all about cancer and this is the mission. And you're like, oh, it's got to be all about human trafficking. The global goals is more about, okay, everyone has a good to give back, whether it be in the different things that you, you, you have a passion about. So I'm really trying to scratch the surface on that part to not be as, you know, yes, I have a very big passion for curing cancer and, and, and giving back in that sense because it's affected both my mother and my younger sister already in my 33 years. So that not, may not necessarily mean that I get into research or whatever, but I need to be able to use the platform that I've created in order to help move my mission along in terms of giving back and making awareness in and around the cancer space and, you know, specifically around uh, genetic testing and DNA and all that sort of stuff. We won't get into it, but that's kind of what I'm thinking about moving forward and how do I, how do I get back to that? I don't know, but that's where I want to start heading to in terms of uh, because it's had such a major impact on my life. But then not necessarily mean it has a major impact on your life. So the UN Global Goals is really something that I've been uh, uh, subscribing to. But I think this is fascinating. Uh, I think one of the reasons that financial freedom is so necessary, in my opinion, is it's necessary, in my opinion, to empower someone to live a life of significance. And I say right. that because I think it would, it would be hard for you to sit there and talk about your purpose in life. Uh, what should I do? Oh, this feels so empty. Maybe I can give back. It's very hard to have those thoughts when you're working 50 plus hours a week. I don't know if you recall <laughs> that. I, I certainly remember that. You know, yes, and, no, right. Yeah, when, when, when you're, you're working, yeah. you're, you're trying to find deals, you're trying to find investors, you've got all these spinning plates yeah. and you have no time yeah. and you, you sort of just, from one pillar to the next, yeah. just like you're bouncing out a pinball machine. But, but yeah. So it's an interesting problem that you're going through. And I, I've, I've seen it with other people. Uh, they're, they're in a, this uh, temporary state of confusion. I see with some of our, our mentors that mentor for us. They're all full-time investors and, you know, they, they have time on their hands and, you know, they buy a bunch of stuff and then they travel a lot. And then they kind of scratch their head going, oh, crap, now what? All right. And it's an, it's an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting phenomenon. People who have come out the other side almost without exception. I mean, there are exceptions, but, but the vast majority of them decide to, to somehow give back in some way. Yes. And I find mm -hmm. that interesting. It's a natural consequence of not, you know, not being in the rat race 50 plus hours a week, being able to control your time, having taken care of your expenses in a way. And I think that's really powerful. I think it allows us to be the person who we are because a lot of us, you know, we do stuff for most part of the day and part of the night because we have to. We have no choice. We're providing for our families. You know, it's not really something we love to do. In a lot of cases, we kind of have to do it. And it prevents us from living that life. You read all these, you know, these self-help books. Be the person, you know, follow your passion. You're a bunch of horse, <laughs> bunch of horse manure, right? I mean, if, if I'm so busy working and providing for my family, putting my kids to sleep at night, you know, what are you talking about? Right, right, right. I, and I completely agree with that. It's, it's, I, I'm in that that space right now. And I'd actually turn the tables back on you. Have you struggled with it at all? Have you, are you going through similar sort of thoughts right now? Because I know you've, you've had a lot of success and, and, and you've achieved financial freedom yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it happened to me when I was in the depth of my restaurant business and I was trying to, trying to figure out what's next. And I got the very strong sense that I, I'm supposed to be sharing my successes and failures with people so they can achieve financial freedom faster. And, and by the way, I was not at that point pretty far. I had financial freedom for a fleeting moment, about four and a half years. And I got a, a strong sense that I was supposed to share with others what I had learned. And since making that decision, things just turn around in ways that, you know, I couldn't have architected myself, frankly. Right. And I'm very grateful right. for that. But it, it required a shift of, you know, what's more important? Is it me or is it maybe someone else? 
And so I mm-hmm. feel very strongly about, I just, I've been observing this financial freedom phenomenon for, for a while. I've been studying it, reading about it. I've been talking to people about it on our podcast here. And, and I feel really strong that financial freedom is a necessary step to living a true life of significance. And even if you look at people, what are you talking about? You know, if you look at Gandhi or, or Mother Teresa, they were actually all financially free. Okay, I didn't maybe have a bunch of apartment buildings, but someone was covering your living expenses so they can go out and do a bunch of good. This is why it's so important in people who have the ability to do that, with which in the United States and Europe and you know, especially first world countries, there's there's really no reason why someone we actually have choices. A lot of people in you know in third world countries don't. They can read books all day and they can meditate all day, but you know the chances of them getting out and living the life of their dreams is much, much harder, okay? So all of us here listening to this probably actually have choices. And the question is, what do we do with our choices? And I, I see people, you know, making poor choices, either because it's easy or because they're lazy or it's in their comfort zone. And it's frustrating to me because I can say, if you do these three things, you're going to go here. Yet the person doesn't do those three things and chooses the other three things, which sends them over, you know, against the wall. And it, it drives me crazy. But you know, back to the mission, is, it really is for me, is how do I help more people become financially free so more of us can actually live a life of significance? The theory being, for me at least, is that more people are financially free, the world can be a better place. And so it's all going to be very interesting. You know, you and I kind of, we grew up up each other a little bit. It's going to be interesting what we do, right? What we do with what? our financial freedom. And, you know, do we use it for, you know, for, for good or maybe something else? It's, uh, it's kind of a fascinating thing to observe. I wanted to ask you, you know, because you have built a pretty impressive portfolio and it's fun to talk about financial freedom. Most people listening and watching this, that's exactly what they want. And it's good to talk about what it kind of feels like and what kind of challenges that we're we're maybe facing because everybody at every level faces certain challenges. It could be white collar problems versus, you know, others. But then you've built a, a really impressive portfolio over the last four years. What do you think is kind of the number one factor in your ability to do that? Number one factor. That's a good question. If I, to, if I, I guess if I really break it down to being number one factor, and it, it sounds a little, not bougie, but a little bit up yourself. But my dad always used to say to me, and I've always had, this quote has always been very true to me. And my parents are huge influences in my life. And they're both school teachers. You know, I didn't come from money. I, I came from working hard and getting dirt under my nails. Is a fool and their money are easily parted. So, when I first moved to the United States, I didn't know what I didn't know, and that could hurt you, right, in, in, in investing. But if you go out and be educated and don't be a fool, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance, people are so, can be so ignorant when it comes to their financial freedom and money and how they run their house and all that sort of stuff that I sort of, it always perplexes me to say, well, why aren't you taking more interest in this? You know, why, why are you just going with what your dad said, you know, as rich dad, poor dad, you know, the, the poor dad says? Why don't you take more initiative around that? And that sort of was really the impetus of what my dad was saying. It was like, don't be a fool. And so when I've always tried to go out and, and achieve things or take that next step in whether it being buying that first property, you know, which was a triplex in upstate New York to flipping my first house to getting involved in a syndication to then running my own syndication, it was a natural progression to always continue to learn. And I guess the biggest thing that now going forward back to the point of like what's next is you've always got to continue to learn, right? I, I think if you if you stop learning, you will fail. So I'm, you know, we're sitting on here talking about all the great things we've achieved, but it's saying that I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything. And, I'm, and that's part of the, the fun of doing what I do is because I'm going to continue to learn and I'm going to t- continue to make mistakes and that's okay, but learn from those mistakes and, and hopefully you've, you've educated enough that you can, you know, uh, nullify those mistakes in the future. So the biggest thing that I think towards success is always keep your feet on the ground. Never put your head in the clouds and, uh, you know, a fool in their money or easily parted. Always continue to be educated and continue to want to learn. 
So Yeah, the yeah. love of learning. Uh, I, I love that. In your book, uh, Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate, I think you also talk a lot about you know, how to build a successful brand. Why is that important, especially given the multifamily business that, that we're building here? Look, I think you break it down to, uh, I'm a huge believer. I'm an, a structural engineer. I very much a black and white brain. I didn't know anything about this brand building business. And and back when I started my brand, my, my podcast back three or four years ago now, it was in and around the struggles that I had as an international investor. So I moved to the United States. I couldn't get credit. I couldn't get a, lo- a loan because I was fresh off the boat. I had to learn all this new lingo. These Americans, these fast-talking Americans, I had no idea what they were saying about cap rates and blah, blah, blah. But I learned that. But there were so many other people out there who also wanted to invest here but didn't have those skill sets. And so it was your niche till it hurts. There's Many people say that. And so it was like, well, I've got this weird accent as soon as I open my mouth. Why don't you lean into it? Lean into my, what makes you different. Being better, sorry, what's, what's the saying? Different is better than being better. And I was different. So why not lean into it? And, and then through that, again, it was just like, I don't know where this is going to go with this podcast and this whole investing in the US, but I did it and I committed to it. All of a sudden, three, four years later, I mean, I've got nearly 200 episodes. I've met you, I've created a book of all this stuff. Now it's elevated me into a place where I'm being asked to speak on stage and all these great things. And that there is the importance of building a brand because building a personal brand is recession proof, right? And that is, you know, we can invest in real estate because that is one of the vehicles, but also building a brand of reputation, credibility, trustworthiness. I'm putting my name on the line. Like if I go and stuff up, it's me, Reed Goosens, who's stuffed up, right? It takes many, many years to build credibility and trust. You can lose it in an instant. And so building up a brand, building up, you know, credibility and all that sort of stuff is really important in and around the business of raising capital, investing in large commercial assets. But you can apply the same adage to a tech startup. It's in and around where 2019, Google is, you know, the king of the world. People are going to jump on Google and and Google your name and that's how they develop trust these days through different thought leadership platforms, listening to podcasts and reading articles and books and all that great sort of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, and we're (laughs) going to talk a lot more about building a brand. Uh, You're going to be speaking at Dealmaker Live end of July as well. We're going to talk about building a brand and building a, you know, basically on a road to 10,000 units. So it's going to be really exciting to kind of drill down on that as well. I think the last question I have is you, you talked about the importance of building a business ecosystem to develop true wealth. So obviously, when we're just starting out, we have a one-track mind, which is we want enough passive income or acquisition fees to kind of quit our jobs. Once we're there, what do you mean by building a, an ecosystem of businesses? Yeah, so one of the beauty about real estate, particularly in commercial sense, you have scale. One of the first things out of the gate that we that I did, I, I was the, I was the architect behind it, and there's nothing crazy. I just I literally just went, I can get cheaper product. I sat down, I was like, we're turning, whether it be unit turns or, or renovations, about 30 units a month over a portfolio, about 1,100 units. And that's going to happen as you buy more deals, more renovations, but you're also going to turn units because tenants move out, move in. So you're going to need flooring, you're going to need lights, you're going to need fans, you're going to need you know paint. And so we uh, went and just bulk ordered that from China and was able to get it at a real discount. I was able to save the assets money and essentially my investors money. Uh, so that's one business in terms of being vertically integrated. The second business is we're now looking at, I am third-partying my um, unit renovations out to someone else. And I've been digging into the numbers. They're, they're starting to get a little bit expensive. And now that I'm seeing that I can, I have a scale and we have five, six uh, assets, I can maybe hire a construction manager or a project manager that can oversee all five of them or six of them. And then we bring the turns in-house and we do it ourselves and we can save 
30, 40%. Mm. Uh, and that means we can also profit as a business, but we also can save the investors money. I can then now coming into underwriting new deals where deals are getting harder to pencil, I can be more accurate instead of using industry standards. I can say, well, hang on, because I've already got a team of a crew, I know I can get it. I can, I can turn that unit you know, 30% cheaper than maybe the average person out there who's just trying to break into the industry. So I've got that advantage already. And again, it's bringing the profits in-house are vertically aligning and through that you can create really true wealth and I always think about like a table and acquiring assets is one leg of the table but then you've got to think of what other sports table you know maybe it's property management you bring in-house one day maybe it's construction management um, there's the education pieces what we're doing right now so different things can help support the table and acquiring real estate is probably the, the largest leg but there's other there's other legs that support that table to help you really create long-term wealth in, in the future. Well, you're an entrepreneur through and through, Reed. I can tell, and I also can tell you love to learn. Uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Simply go to my, my website, reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S, and you can find everything there. Hit me up if you're ever in LA. Uh, you want to head out for a coffee or a beer. I'm always uh, interested to talk shop, but um, it's been really awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. All right. If you enjoyed listening to Reed. Check him out. He's speaking at DealMaker Live July 26, 27 at, uh, in Dallas. All right. So you can go to the michaelblanc.com forward slash event to grab your tickets to the event. We have a little bit over 125 tickets out of 500 left. So they're going pretty quickly. I suggest you grab them before they're gone. We're going to have, gosh, Reed is going to be there. We're going to talk about how to get to 10,000 units. It's kind of a goal that we have. And so you can listen in on that. But we also have, gosh, we have Robert Helms speaking, the real estate guys, Joe Fairless, Michael Becker, Adam Adams, Corey Peterson, a lot more are going to be this event. So you got to get this. If you're a passive investor, you're looking for that next operator to invest with, you got to be there. If you're a syndicator or you've done your first deal, but you haven't syndicated it, you really want to scale it like, uh, like Reed has done, you definitely want to go to dealmaker live end of july that's the michaelblank.com forward slash event hope you don't miss it also we are looking for accredited investors right now we have some current opportunities in the pipeline so if you're an accredited investor we'd like to hear from you we have lots of opportunities and we're looking for partners to grow with so to find out more go to nighthawkequity.com that is our investment company by the way it's called nighthawk and it's at nighthawkequity.com and just click to join the uh, investor club we have this investor club and uh, you can schedule a call with us and we'll get to know each other a little bit more and that allows us to present you with some opportunities that we have coming up so we'd love to hear from you for that catch you in the next episode thanks for listening to the apartment building investing podcast with michael block for more free podcasts articles and videos go to themichaelblanc.com there you can also download the free ebook the secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building till next time